And we're set for military talks with North Korea following the relative success of Tuesday's dialogue at the border, the first of its kind in over two years. But with President Moon stressing the importance of the North abandoning nuclear weapons, how optimistic can we be? Let's first bring in Andrew Chung, reporter at the Wall Street Journal, for more reaction uh, to this week's developments. Good morning to you. Morning, Alex. Thank you for joining us. So, um, you know, we've talked about the talks at length this week, but there's this debate over a how productive they were and b what significance that has given that we've still got some fundamental immovable problems like the denuclearization of the North. Uh, can you summarize the significance of Tuesday's dialogue? Right. Um, I think we can summarize the talks as cautious optimism. I, I think you summed it up very well just now. Um, uh, the, the optimism part, of course, concerns the Olympics, the fact that North Korea is likely to come over here uh, with a very large delegation, including senior officials, that will lead to, obviously, some sort of talks with the South and possibly even uh, talks with the U.S. because of uh, Mike Pence coming and other senior U.S. officials coming, although uh, the U.S. is very, I guess, uh, guarded uh, and remains suspicious of the North Koreans. But um, again, the, the cautious part, I guess, comes in because of not only the suspicion that we just mentioned, but uh, the, the suspicion that uh, the North Koreans are just buying time uh, to complete their uh, nuclear weapons program, and the suspicion that uh, the olive branch uh, from the North Koreans uh, are not only not new, but um, just the ploy to, again, not only buy time, but also to, uh, to, to drive a wedge uh, between Seoul and Washington. Uh, this is a suspicion that's been, uh, I guess, floated on multiple occasions and uh, has been the case this year as well. And just staying with the positive for a moment, how, how big would it be to see not just athletes, but cheerleaders, um, high-ranking officials, even in the face of sanctions here in South Korea, and potentially a unified team, at least marching together? Right. The... the uh the immediate uh, positive uh, conclusion from that, I guess, would be the symbolism. Uh, the symbolism uh, resulting uh, from uh, the, the image uh, coming from such a performance, such a showing uh, between the two Koreas, and which could lead, of course, to more talks and the mood of uh, peace, which would, I guess, the, uh, the obvious benefit from that would be no provocations or a less likelihood uh, for the North Koreans to start firing missiles uh, and test launching uh, other uh, weapons that uh, the South and the U.S. and Japan would consider uh, provocations. Um, uh, and I guess the prospect of a unified team, uh, the symbolism is obvious, but um, the concern there, I just want to mention that while we're on the subject, is that there's only so much time left until the Olympics, and uh, and I just want to also mention that there's a lot of protest uh, from, well, not I guess overt protest, but uh, uh, brewing and hidden uh, hidden I guess uh, negativity and um, uh, I guess uh, concern and uh, something I guess something of an opposition against such a move from the athletes in the South who have worked their butts off to gain a spot on the South Korean national team across uh, the board 
uh, of the events at the Winter Olympics. So uh, the symbolism is there, but the obvious concerns, plus the fact that it kind of messes up uh, what the South Korean athletes have been working for, uh, is some concern uh, that still persists. Well, that's a whole other dimension, isn't it, there? Um, now, now, also speaking of that immovable object of North Korea's opposition to denuclearizing, we've had the chief negotiator, Ri Sun-gwan, expressing strong discontent, apparently, over the suggestion that n- the North should be ready to denuclearize. We've seen a lot of reporting on that. In fact, you know, I've been almost surprised at how open President Moon has been at this time on this subject. He, he doesn't seem afraid to scare North Korea off. Right. Uh, uh, I guess both Koreas have been very firm on the subject of uh, nuclear weapons, and uh, the North Koreans showed that during the talks. Uh, Lee Sung-won showed or expressed uh, his frustration and anger at the broaching of the topic uh, during the talks by the South Korean press, Seoul officials, but I guess one point that we we can find interesting is the, the fact that uh, President Moon, as you just mentioned, has been very firm, has been, uh, that, uh, has been, I guess, trying to show that this is not a replay of the old talks where South, Korea were, South Koreans were seen to be very uh, generous and very giving. Uh, but uh, President Moon and his administration has been very adamant that, yes, we're going to pursue talks, yes, we're a bit dovish, um, uh, maybe a bit more dovish than Mr. Trump is in the U.S., but we're going to be firm by saying we're not going to accept nuclear weapons, and we're going to, these talks are ultimately uh, aimed at coming to talks, uh, talking about the nuclear weapons issue later on down the road. And if the North is not uh, sincere, and if the North uh, conducts provocations, uh, we're not going to be able to talk anymore. So I guess that's the one, I guess, interesting point that we, we can find uh, in the Moon administration right now. Andrew John of the Wall Street Journal, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you, Alex. Let's now bring in Bruce Klinger, Senior Research Fellow for Northeast Asia at the Heritage Foundation. Thank you also for joining us. Oh, well, thanks for having me. And may I just start with you on that subject? Uh, the fact that North Korea is not stepped away from the dialogue table, the fact that North Korea is still prepared to hold these talks and, and and possibly military talks fairly imminently, despite these very open comments from President Moon Jae-in on denuclearization, it, it, it might be seen as a positive, but it might also be seen as uh, just an indication that the North is yet to get what it really wants from these talks. Right. Well, I, you know, having watched the inter-Korean talks for a number of years, it I tend to be a bit cynical about seeing them. It, it's kind of like uh, when you see the beginning of inter-Korean talks, it's kind of like re-watching the movie Titanic. You you hope that it comes up with a different ending, but you sort of fear that it, it will still have the same result. Mm. Um, you know, North Korea is simply kind of getting credit for being willing to pick up the military hotline phone and uh, agree to sit in a uh, meeting with South Korea. Uh, you know, it, it was the one that severed the military hotlines. It's been the one that's been refusing to have dialogue. So, you know, we're sort of giving it credit for doing what, you know, others would just seen as normal international behavior. We've um, we've seen President Trump being pretty open to these uh, talks, apparently, according to uh, 
South Korea. The, the uh, conversation went pretty well between Presidents Moon and Trump overnight. And in fact, um, President Trump seems to be open to dialogue himself. Is there anything that's particularly noteworthy out of him in the last couple of days? Well, with President Trump's policy towards North Korea has been a bit confusing. Uh, he's contradicted himself or flip-flopped a, a number of times on whether he's interested or will allow dialogue with North Korea. So uh, at some points, he's sort of undercut his Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, by saying, don't waste your time, Rex, uh, you know, don't, uh, don't try dialogue. Other times said that he's open to dialogue or even that he would meet with Kim Jong-un. So uh, I think certainly for now he's being supportive of, of President Moon. Uh, Moon has, you know, moved more to the center from what had been his predicted uh, earlier policies. He's not doing a no Muhun kind of engagement. So uh, I think President Moon sent the right signals during his press conference. He said he's, uh, you know, will not... Uh, go soft on international sanctions, that he will not try to reopen the Kaesong Industrial Zone, which would be a violation of UN resolutions, uh, and that he's pledged that denuclearization does remain the, the goal. Now, the, the thing is, as you used that Titanic analogy before, we, we have had President Trump saying he's prepared to talk with North Korea under the right circumstances, and, and a similar tone from President Moon yesterday on the prospect of an actual inter-Korean presidential summit. He's certainly not jumping forward with that prospect at this moment in time. So, given the fact that North Korea is very unlikely to turn around and, and show willingness to denuclearize, where do you think we are heading and, and how soon would we be heading in a negative direction? Well, both the U.S. and South Korea have stated that the military exercises, which are usually uh, planned for March and April, will simply be postponed and not canceled. So at the end of the Olympics and the Paralympic Games, when the uh, annual military exercises uh, take place, I would think that could be when North Korea could go through its usual uh, threatening behavior or strong rhetoric against those exercises. It, it could then use those exercises as uh, or at least in its own mind, justification for violating UN resolutions again by doing another missile test or perhaps even a nuclear test. Is it still worthwhile? Is it still worth trying if you get out of it um, into Korean cooperation during the Winter Olympics, if you get out of it the prospect of, of family reunions, for example? Well, I, I think we should always be open to dialogue with North Korea, and, and I would distinguish between sort of diplomat-to-diplomat -diplomat dialogue and formal resumption of six-party talks. I, I don't think we should resume the negotiations until North Korea at least uh, affirms to a commitment to the basic objective of those talks, which is denuclearizing North Korea. But uh, I always think we should have our diplomats willing to meet with uh, North Korean counterparts as well as having the Koreas talk to each other. Uh, it's just how, it, <clears throat> how you do it. You don't want to offer concessions simply for getting them into the room or to, uh, you know, offer up military concessions such as abandoning those uh, military exercises, particularly at a time when right now North Korea is doing its own annual winter training cycle, which runs from December to March every year. Well, speaking of those concessions, what do you think South Korea will be prepared to give away, uh, potentially even financially, uh, in the face of sanctions? It's going to be quite difficult. 
I, I think so. I, I think President Moon is much more constrained in what he could offer uh, than his predecessors were, because really any kind of economic venture now is a violation of U.N. resolutions unless they're pre-approved by a U.N. committee. So uh, President Moon now understands that. I think during the campaign, uh, the presidential campaign, he had talked about reopening Kaesong, but then later affirmed that it would be a violation. So I think he is constrained in what he is able to offer, and then also really what he is willing to offer, because he knows that the, the South Korean landscape is different now than under Nomi Hun, when there's you know, greater willingness to offer large economic largesse in North Korea. But I think that has changed, particularly since you know North Korea's two deadly attacks against the South in 2010, and then it's repeated violations of UN resolutions. I mean, if that's the case, how it doesn't seem like it's going to take very long for North Korea to get upset, and potentially that could happen even during the Winter Olympics. It could. I mean, one certainly hopes at least we get the Olympics, uh, you know, through without another North Korean provocation. And I think that really was kind of the driving force behind Moon's eager acceptance of uh, North Korea's olive branch, which it extended as it always does during its annual uh, New Year's Day speech. So, uh, you know, but I think when Moon was originally asking the U.S. to defer the military exercises, it was simply to ensure a smooth Olympics. Then when North Korea accepted the talks, I think then it, it kind of moved to hoping to improve inter-Korean relations. Well, cons- one can certainly see why Seoul at this point wants to ensure a smooth Winter Olympics. And in fact, it's done more than that, it's drawn worldwide attention on, on the Olympics, on, on a games that uh, had been a little bit underwhelming in the build-up. But, but as far as military talks are concerned, is there anything particularly interesting that that you'll be watching for in, in those talks when they come around fairly soon? Well, it, it seems like uh, the readout from the meetings is that the military talks may simply be uh, the measures to ensure the uh, transit of the North Korean team and delegation into the South. Um, I would hope, though, that we could expand them into broader confidence and security building measures discussions, because uh, if North Korea really is concerned that the Allied exercises are, uh, you know, a precursor to an attack, you know, there are measures that both sides could take, uh, transparency and uh, other notification measures that could be taken to increase transparency to kind of reduce the potential for uh, a miscalculation that could lead to military hostilities. Finally, after North Korea's chief negotiator said that... Uh, all of North Korea's nuclear threats are entirely targeting the U.S., not uh, South Korean brethren, not China, not Russia. For some people, that might have been a source of comfort. Of course, it won't be for the U.S., and it won't be for those here in South Korea who care about that U.S. relationship. But, but President Moon, on the other hand, has done all the right things in terms of reassuring Washington. Are you confident that uh, this alliance is coming through this unscathed, maybe even stronger? Well, I think that the North Korean comment is pretty laughable because the uh, the nuclear-capable Nodong medium-range ballistic missiles can only reach South Korea and Japan, uh, certainly not the United States. And certainly it, it overlooks all of North Korea's previous claims or vows to turn Seoul into a sea of fire and its recent threat to sink the four Japanese islands with their nuclear weapons. So, um, you know, certainly North Korea's nuclear weapons are also designed to attack South Korean and Japanese targets. But... Um, you know, I think 
although the U.S. remains wary about uh, whether President Moon will sort of cut left uh, away from the center on North Korea, I, I think there's pretty strong confidence right now. And, and any kind of, uh, you know, divide and conquer or driving a wedge tactics by North Korea could be mitigated by strong alliance coordination. And, and I think people on both sides of the uh, Pacific are, are feeling pretty good about the alliance right now. Well, this is the problem, because um, what you're saying is North Korean rhetoric relies on amnesia, but the international news cycle suffers from amnesia all the time, it seems. It's just part of the modus operandi. Thank you very much for speaking with us. Oh, well, thanks for having me again. Bruce Klingner, Senior Research Fellow for Northeast Asia at the Heritage Foundation.